When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 127, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and we have got a jam-packed show for you today. First up, we have a chat with BN Sports commentator and the play-by-play voice of Atlanta United from the MLS. It's Kevin Egan, before I'm joined by Omar from Blagrana Graham to help me out with our listener questions in La Ronda. This is a fun one that we have on tap today. It's a little bit longer than our normal shows, but I think it's all worth it. So let's get right into my interview with Kevin. So take it away, um, me. On the line with me now is a gentleman that many of our North American audience in particular will know from his work on BN Sports and as the play-by-play voice of Atlanta United. It's Kevin Egan. How are you, Kevin? Dan Hilton, great to be on your show. Thanks for having me. I'm wonderful. And Kevin uh, is doing this also. He has a, a, a newborn at home as well. He's on vacation <laughs> in Miami and still took the time to talk to us a little bit. I really appreciate that. But, uh, you know, the first question I have to start with is kind of an off-the-pitch question about your work with B in sports. Um, he may not be seven weeks old, but what is it like working with Ray Hudson? Ray Hudson is exactly what he's like during a game in the office. And that may come as a surprise to a lot of people. His infectious enthusiasm for the game you know, it's just such a joy to see and be around at all times. He's such a fun guy. He's such a lovable guy. He'd give you the shirt off his back if you were cold. That's the sort of guy he is. He thinks about everyone else but himself. Um, and I, I didn't know what to make of Ray Hudson before I joined BN Sports. You know, like he, he's got his crazy commentary where he shouts across Phil Shane. And there was a part of me that was watching the games thinking, oh, 
how does this play-by-play guy do it? And then <laughs> I just fell in love with his commentary and his description. And the one thing that gets lost, you know, given that he says himself on his Twitter page, he's a verbal gymnast. The one thing that gets lost in all of this is that Ray is an excellent analyst mm-hmm. and he'll spot things, but more often than not, he's describing things in his own unique way rather than breaking it down. But he's a really good analyst as well and a great eye for the game. And he, he's obviously played at the highest level over in England with Newcastle and then he, he's managed uh, here in Major League Soccer as well. So he's got wonderful experience and, and it's a great privilege to, to be a friend and colleague of Ray's. He's, he's the type of guy, I'll give you an example, my first week at being Sports, Back in October of 2015, we had a combo ball World Cup qualifier week where we had games on a Tuesday and, or sorry, it was a Thursday and then again on, on the following Tuesday. And I'll never forget my first day there when it was one of the first times I saw Ray. He storms into the office and he sees that our, our bosses had brought in pizzas for everybody because it's one of those shifts that you've got to be there for about 12 hours and there's mm-hmm. no time to take a break. It's go, go, go. And Ray comes in, ah, pizza. We've got pizza. What kind of pizza? And everyone's like, it's just, it's just pizza, Ray. It's not. It's not just pizza. What, what's on the pizza? And, and, and he was so enthusiastic about the pizza that I thought, <laughs> this guy, this guy's the real deal. Even away from commentaries, that's who he is. Yeah. No, and that's and that's not terrific to hear. It always is those things where you never want to hear the bad stories about your heroes behind the scenes. But uh, you know, I I do some on air work myself, and I I think the same thing every time. Where when I have a play play, when I'm on play play, and I have a color guy that or a color uh, woman that just winds up being larger than life, you kind of just let them yeah. do what they need to do. And interruptions are just part of what people want to hear and their excitement. So, is yeah, and, yeah, and it's, it's one thing I've learned so quickly, Dan, uh, in, in, and I'm learning every day with Play by Play. Um, it's, our job is to, is to get the best out of the analyst, is to, is to make yep. sure that if the analyst is in a p- position to succeed, that's partly our job is to make sure we tee them up, that we um, lay out when we need to lay out, give them the platform to succeed when the ball is in certain areas of the field. And Phil Shane is an absolute master at that with Ray Hudson because most play-by-play guys wouldn't know how to deal with him, quite frankly. He's just, he he is a tornado in the booth in so many ways. (laughs) But Phil is, Phil is excellent. He he knows how to uh, work with Ray. And and I say tornado as a compliment because he's just, his, his ability to navigate a game, Ray, um, in the unique way that he does is outstanding. Well, let's stay in Miami for the time being. Uh, I want to ask you, with the January La Liga match between Barcelona and Girona never really getting off the ground there and coming to fruition, how did you weigh the pros and cons of that potentially historic match kind of leading up to and the buildup with all the news around it? Well, that's a tough question because I think obviously selfishly, you, you think about a big La Liga game, you know, with, with so much on the line in Miami, it seems pretty cool. And then I, I think about the time I spent in Girona with my, my, my great friends who since passed away. It's a very special place for me, Girona. And I think about where the stadium is and, and what a game like that means to the fans of Girona. And I could completely understand when we did a poll uh, and we did some Vox Pops outside the stadium for being sports, the majority of the fans were saying, look, we don't want this outside of our city. This mm-hmm. is our game. It's our rival. And, and the other side of this is, what if Girona, which they've plummeted of late, by the way, they've, they're, they're not in a, in a good position in the La Liga table at all right now, uh, and they haven't had it their own way um, recently. So what if they were to lose that game in Miami rather than get something against Barcelona in Girona? That would cost them in, in a big-time way. Right now, they're in 17th place, one point above the relegation zone. Now, it turns out that they lost the game anyway to Barcelona, but it was a very close match. Mm-hmm. 
my feeling my feeling on it is probably one that that is not going to come true anyway. I think that the game should stay with, uh, at their their local stadium. However, it, it, it's it's getting to the stage where we know what's going to happen. It's right. going to start with just one game, and eventually, it's going to be maybe a game for each team away. And it, if it was if it was in some way respectful of the fans, and if it was in some way, I'd love like to say you know even but that's never going to be the case when you have to cater for 20 different teams yeah um it, it's just a really difficult one it's it's a money grabber for everybody involved it's a money grabber and it's kind of sad to see how do you feel well yeah, yeah. i think mean, certainly ask about the global reach of a club that has done really well this season but if you take alaves and put them in you know chicago illinois what kind of yeah. draw is that going to have? And that's why the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid, who are not only competing on all these different fronts yeah. in all these different competitions, but now you're also asking them to travel, as many of them do for international competition. And obviously, the higher profile the club, the more internationals they have who are constantly on planes and things like that. And I think sticking on the topic of money, uh, there was a report, and we also had a listener question from Carlos this week, that Barcelona has a, borrowed around 140 million euros from North American investors. If you heard about this, and so the question I think leading to that that you know had me spinning was, uh, what do you make of the reputation of American business owners? We think obviously of the connection with Liverpool, and uh, the, there's tons of other clubs now, Man United as well, having a hand in European teams. And does it surprise you that it seems separate from the reputation, though, of American players and the American product in MLS? It, I see there, there is a dichotomy between the two. There is. You're, you're absolutely right, and that is fascinating. You know, the, the, the American owners, when you think back to when they first came in, I, I, I grew up as an Aston Villa fan. And Randy Lerner hmm. came in, taken over from Doug Ellis, and he was wonderful to start it all out. And he had this great enthusiasm uh, to spend money and to bring in quality players. And Villa finished sixth in the Premier League back to back to back seasons under Martin O'Neill. And then Randy Lerner kind of lost interest. I feel yeah. uh, he 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 was losing money. Um, and owners need to realise that they're not going to make money in this game. This is just something you do out of pure passion. And a lot of the time, they don't have the passion for the game. They see it as a revenue stream. And they see it as an opportunity to get involved in, in the Premier League now being the biggest league in the world. No question about that. Um, and they, they've often been involved in NFL. You look at someone like Kroenke, who is the owner of Arsenal, who was in the Super Bowl recently against the Patriots. Um, he's His son and Kroenke himself are the owners of the Colorado Rapids. They do very well with Arsenal. They don't spend money at all with Colorado. Right. Um, Bob Kraft is the owner of the New England Patriots. He's also the owner of the New England Revolution. I was about to bring that up. Yep. Doesn't spend money at all. Yep. Um, so I, I would love to see owners get in it for the right reasons. The other example of that is someone that I know quite well now um, is Arthur Blank right. from my time in Atlanta in that he, he just he's the type of guy who says, when I get involved in something, I'm going to do it right. And this is, this is something I want to invest in. He spent $1.6 billion on a stadium, Mercedes-Benz. Um, the training facility is a $60 million training facility, and he brings in players like Ezekiel Barco and, and, and P.T. Martinez for $15 million each. There's someone who's, who's, who's in it for the long run and who doesn't need to make money off something. Um, it's, it's, it's a perilous situation for clubs if they allow someone to come in who doesn't commit on paper to spending a certain amount of money on infrastructure, on the academy, uh, and on bringing through players. It, it's, it's one of those ones that... I, that's why I kind of like the Barcelona model where you, you've, you've got accountability. For, you know, from all the uh, what do you call it, socios, the socios yeah. involved, 
in, in Barcelona, it's, it's very important for accountability. Yeah, and I, I think I'll, we'll take a hard question. I'll give you an easy one, uh, then we'll kind of sandwich it this way. But I think for Barcelona fans, where would you direct them? Uh, obviously, for me, hosting the show and being in the United States, I do get a little bit of flack as well when there are players for... Uh, the best example was when Carlos Vela was linked with Barcelona on loan, and there were questions about, well, what, what does it mean about... Even though he spent all those years at Real Sociedad, what is an MLS player possibly going to bring to Barcelona? But I would, where would you direct them as a way to start watching MLS and appreciating it. And I guess you are biased with the MLS Cup winners, obviously, Atlanta, but I think it also goes back to, not to answer your question for you, but how Atlanta United and Arthur Blank are willing to spend, and the product that they put on really is different than, again, and no disservice to him, but what the New England Revolution are doing. And it's almost two different MLSs at the moment of owners who want to spend and owners who don't, and then that's reflected on the field. So where would you direct them to the MLS to basically better appreciate what's happening in North America. Yeah, and, and let me go a little bit further. You, you, you talk about two different style owners, the ones that invest, the ones that don't. How about the different style clubs, Dan, that um, have an identity in the way they try and play and, and the clubs that simply don't? And you could compare maybe a Real Madrid and Barcelona to that. Like Real Madrid really don't have an identity in how they play. Mm-hmm. They bring in someone like Julian Lopetegui, who was going to completely change what Zinedine Zidane was doing. It doesn't work. Santiago Solari, very much back to the mold. Obviously, Dan, except he has um, the cojones to go and take out big-name players uh, that are slacking off and put in youth and that, that youthful exuberance that you can clearly see from Real Madrid now. That's uh, what we see from Real Madrid. Barcelona try and play a certain way, and maybe they've gone away from that for, for, for quite some time now. But in Major League Soccer, it's very rare that you see ambition with coaching decisions. And I think this is where the league needs to needs to kind of perk up and get a little bit better. Uh, it, like you see Tata Martino come in, mm-hmm. who's managed recently Argentina and Barcelona, and he comes in to take over Atlanta. In Atlanta, Georgia, a team that had never played um, in the city before, yet he said that every promise that he received was fulfilled by the club. So, so Atlanta United went out of their way to be ambitious with their coaching decision. Then you look at Cincinnati, who's coming in this year. Alan Koch is their coach. I've watched them play in USL. I see nothing. I see absolutely nothing. Nothing to suggest that they're going to hit Major League Soccer running. You know, mm-hmm. actually, I take that back. They are going to hit it running because that's all they have in their team is runners. They, they've brought in pacey attacking players that they're going to kick the ball long and they're going to run after it. And my, my bet is it probably won't last too long and, and there'll be a change. But I, I want to see teams like the New York Red Bulls play with a certain identity. So if you're watching at Major League Soccer right now, keep an eye on Bob Bradley's LAFC. Keep an mm. eye on the New York Red Bulls because the Red Bulls don't spend a lot, an awful lot of money, but they play in a very efficient and, and, a, and a very identifiable way. Atlanta United will change now with former Barcelona uh, star Frank De Boer as mm-hmm. their manager. They'll change in the way they play. I think you'll see much more of what he did at Ajax. Uh, far more possession-based, maybe even than Tata Martino, who, while he was at Atlanta, had he played nearly attacking, counter-attacking football through possession. So they'd keep the ball at the back, then next thing, a piercing ball to maybe a Nagby or a Remedi in midfield, who'd spring it to Miguel Almiron, or a runner like Julian Gressel. So there's, what I like to see in Major League Soccer is the evolution of the game. Um, rather than just the evolution of money and spending and, and I'd prefer if that was the identity of the league and I think slowly but surely it's changing and those are three teams LAFC New York Red Bulls 
and Atlanta United that I would keep an eye on. Well, I've got the stats too. So for our listeners listening in North America, uh, I can see that New York, LA, and Atlanta are three of our biggest markets as well for Barcelona fans. So it is an easier transition that way as well. But going back to the, we'll say the first team of FC Barcelona, I do want to, you know, not to bring it a little negative, but Fans seem to be fatalistic, and uh, I, I would say that you most likely do not live on Barcelona Twitter in a way that uh, some of us unfortunately do, but it seems things are getting quite negative, and uh, especially after this past weekend against Bilbao, there have been some performances, three straight draws, but things seem to be getting negative about the Champions League. What do you think Barcelona's chances are, and you know how is it that you stack them up against two other teams that are struggling this season, like a Bayern Munich, if they even Barcelona, get there, yeah. Barcelona are my favorites for the Champions League. Hmm. And they were my favourites the moment Leo Messi stood inside the camp now in front of the fans and said that this is essentially our priority this year. Yep. The, 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 the Champions League hasn't been at the camp now for too long now. And they've had to watch their arch enemy lift it in back-to-back-to-back seasons, which is unacceptable for Barcelona. And it's unacceptable for someone like Leo Messi. So from the moment I saw that, from for me, the greatest player that's ever kicked the football, that's when I thought they're winning the Champions League this year. And look, Barca fans... I think have a reason to, to be slightly sceptical and a little bit negative as of now because they've drawn their last three games in all comps. However, the schedule's been ridiculous. You, you talk about a game at San Mamés. A game at San Mamés against an athletic club side that have completely turned around their fortunes under Garitano. They, 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 they kick you. They're high-pressed. They're really difficult to play against. And then the thing that stood out to me the most, Dan, was in the post-game interview afterwards, Luis Suarez alluded to, with the journalist, the fact that the legs are heavy. Mm-hmm. on the players of Barcelona right now. And that made me question Ernesto Valverde a little bit. Because why bring in a Kevin Prince Boateng? Why bring in certain players that you can go and you can play in matches like this? There's lots of players in reserve, uh, I would think, you could give a little bit more game time to that Ernesto Valverde has kind of shied away from. Um, and he's gone with the tried and tested. You know, he's, he's gone with... Uh, like, when you think when you look at the minutes played this year... In La Liga for Barcelona, right? Just La Liga play. Let's have a look here. So, number one outfielder is PK, 32 years of age. Number two, Suarez, 32 years of age. Also in the top five there, players are Rakitic, 30. Busquets, 30. Messi uh, is, is 31, 32 in June. So, these guys aren't getting any younger. The fortunate thing for Barca now is that you don't play Champions League midweek and you've got Valladolid at the weekend. Mm-hmm. A golden opportunity to rest players. It's a chance to rest players before you go on the road for four straight games against Leon, Sevilla, Real Madrid, Real Madrid. Like That's a ridiculously tough road stretch. So if I'm Barcelona, I'm wrapping these guys up in cotton wool or I'm putting them on a couch somewhere and telling them not to move for the next week because we need you fresh and fighting. Yeah, certainly I agree with I, yeah, I agree with every point there, and uh, the unfortunate news this week, too, is that Kevin Prince-Boateng is apparently n- a little banged up, but also not impressing as well on his arrival, which is, I guess, not the most surprising thing. It was something that we were hopeful about, but again, it winds up not being the most surprising thing that they don't find him if he's they've been compared directly with Luis Suarez. Kevin, before we do let you go, I have another big question. Obviously, you watch an unconscionable about, uh, amount of football at BN Sports, and other than Real Batiste, I know we talked off-air before the show, but uh, I can't let you go with the easy answer of Real Batiste, the one that everyone's been going with with Kike Setien. Who else in the Liga are you going to continue to have your eye on down the stretch here? And when it comes to teams like Espanyol, Girona, who are plummeting and not playing a certain way, who are you going to direct people to? Well, 
<laughs> I might go as far as St. Wesca after the last two results. That's they've gone won their last <laughs> two and they've 18 points. They're playing some really attractive stuff. Um, and, and I wouldn't see it being a crazy prediction right now to say that Wesca may stay up. They're six points away from safety. It would be so much even if they do. I'm not going to pick Wesca though. Um, look, I, I think, you know, I picked Atletico Madrid to win the league earlier. I have a lot of respect for what Simeone's done. And I think every time he goes, he tries to go away from his identity um, and what he's built at Atletico and tries to play a more expansive style of football, it backfires on him. He should just stick to the boring way, um, stick to the ugly way of playing football in a lot of ways because that's the best way for him to get results. But Dan, the team that I absolutely love and I've got a great amount of graph for, as we say in Ireland, is little old Labour. You know, they play at Iparua, 7,000 people. They've got a hospital overlooking the, the, the football pitch where the older people mm-hmm. enjoy looking at the games. They, they only stayed in La Liga due to Elche's financial mismanagement three years ago. And, and this is a side that continue to impress. I, just, I, I have a great amount of respect for everything that Mendilibar has done at that team. And, and now they're getting results out of you know, a guy like Charles, who was impressing at Malaga a few years ago, banging in the goals this season. Sergi Enrique is still there. Um, I have huge amounts of time for them. Even bringing in Cucurea this season from Barcelona on loan, he's been superb. So that's a team that I would, would keep an eye on. Everyone says Real Betis, and rightly so, because with Joaquin in any team, it's must-see TV. He's just a joy to see. Uh, and Kike Setien is, is one of the most fascinating characters in La Liga. Uh, Alaves have had a great year too. And the other team I'd probably keep an eye on is Sevilla. They play that rock and roll style of football with no defensive midfielders. Uh, you look at Benegas, the, the deepest lying midfielder they have, uh, and further forward getting results out of guys like Andre Silva. So a team certainly to keep an eye on as well. La Liga for me, the best league in world football. Oh, absolutely love it. Yeah, I mean, you, there are cries of Premier League, but I think, again, it comes down to media. And it's been exciting for me, at least, to see in sports and the hope too as well and this is where we'll kind of wrap it up and leave it is that my hope is that La Liga and now you can watch a, a ton of football anywhere you want on all these different devices but I continue to hope that La Liga gives people options both now in the UK with uh, 11 sports they re-up their deal the Segunda Division has come to the US through YouTube and all of those things are, are really bright signs but I continue to hope that it just remains to be affordable it's still a little too unaffordable we'll say so i hope that again being sports continues to work to make things a little more affordable for people and more people to watch it because that's obviously to get more eyes on it that's what's going to help the league get to the standards that the premier league has i think in in the u.s it's not really just what's on the field but how many eyes can have it yeah exactly and i think that look being have one more year after this year with their contract with la liga and we'll see if, if BN keep it, if, if, if someone else steps in to take it here in North America. It's been disappointing that there's been a kind of a breakdown um, between BN Sports and Comcast and AT&T, and hopefully they, they can get resolved pretty quickly. I know from our end, it, it's, I've heard everything that's been going on from within, and it just seems unfair that, that Comcast and AT&T have completely moved the goalposts and, um, and BN Sports have, have been left hanging in many ways from these two. Uh, so hopefully they can get that resolved and be in sports will be back on, on two of the biggest providers in North America because people want to see the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I did was I simply made a switch from Comcast to um, I dropped the sports package and got Sling. And it works out pretty well. And I get my Barcelona every weekend. Yep. And that's absolutely tremendous. And speaking of leaving people hanging, you certainly didn't do that with us. We're so happy you're able to call on the show, Kevin. And uh, we appreciate your time. Dan, you're a gent. Top class. Thanks so much <laughs> for the time. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Now on the line to help me with La Ronda, it's Omar from Blagranagram. How are you, Omar? 
Pretty good, pretty good. How about yourself? Thank you for having me on. Well, I, I think over the course of our little conversation here in La Ronda, it could get better or worse. Uh, we've got Ajax Real Madrid, so that lets you know exactly when we're recording this. I have Ajax Real Madrid in the background, so uh, hopefully future yeah. player Frankie de Young, no pressure on him. And I say no pressure on him. Uh, we don't want to heap anything on him before he's even a member of the Balgrana. Um, because, again, how Ajax plays isn't indicative of how his more talented, if you will, Barcelona teammates will play. But nevertheless, let's get into La Ronda. Are you ready to go, Omar? Yeah, let's go. All right, let's start with the hardest one of the bunch. We've only have five, but we can go a few different places with this. We're going to start with Rick's question. Recently, the club announced that they will revoke two honors given to former Spanish military dictator Francisco Franco over 40 years after his death. Now, Rick's question, just curious as to why this timing for the club, would, would they do so, and how significant is this to the whole topic of Catalonia's independence? And uh, Omar, I'm ready with some notes to go first, but uh, do you want to take this one, or do you want me to head up this one? Feel free to head it up. Let's see, uh, let's see what you got. <laughs> well, currently going on, uh, the Spain's trial for, uh, of the Catalan separatists, and this is all the way back in October 2017. Barcelona fans will remember that they played with a closed camp no. They had a match against Las Palmas with no fans, and that was going on during the Catalan referendum. And these individuals will be prosecuted for having organized Catalonia's referendum on their self-determination, again, back October 1st of 2017. So that's what this is. Uh, and the club has not announced whether those two things are uh, incongruent with one another, but I would assume that with this trial now beginning to take place in Madrid and the club announcing this at a very similar time, that these things are a little related. But I would also think that, obviously, at no time in FC Barcelona's history are they going to be supportive or happy about Franco. So it could also just be uh, some we'll say some self-reflection and somebody brought it up in a board meeting and this is just a measure they're going to take to continue to distance themselves as far as they can from Franco. Yeah, definitely. I think, honestly, I think it's a, it's a mix of both really, because when you think about it, obviously Barca aren't fond of Franco, aren't really fond of Madrid. And so considering the timing as well, I think it's fairly, I think it's fair to say that that might be the reason for why they actually decide to do it now, you know, because part of it is that they don't like, you know, there's all this, this you know, this feud between Barca and Madrid, and obviously the historical value behind it with Franco. And so, doing it at this time, I think, would be very fitting. And as you said, it might have been something mentioned at a board meeting, but I would not be surprised if it was also, you know, due to the timing as well. Yeah, I mean, this is a tough one, and I we've said in the past, and this is again all the way going back, and this how. The, the podcast is starting to show its age now. And Francesca and I talked after that match with Las Palmas. And, you know, we, we try to stay atypical here. Um, but Barcelona has and will continue to represent Catalonia. And in a sense, the best interests of Catalonia. And when it comes to the Catalan people, they themselves are even divided on whether or not they would want their own independence or not. Uh, so, again, we remain hardlined about anything. But we at the Barcelona podcast also reflect what the club views. So if FC Barcelona, the club, uh, puts itself behind a certain uh, cause or, or, or wants to support a, a certain political ideology, then, of course, you know, we're going to discuss that and that's going to come up. So I really appreciate your question, Rick. Uh, it's one of the harder ones we've had in a while because now we're going to have some uh, easier ones as we're going to pivot. Is that okay, Omar? Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Uh, thank you for the question, Rick. It's, uh, it's nice to get some, some tougher questions, you know, uh, from time to time. So, uh, yeah, kind of refreshing, really. <laughs> so up next, uh, one from James Lee, and he asks, 
I think Barcelona is becoming unwatchable, and uh, it must be, again, this is a referendum on what happened at Athletic Club over the weekend. Obviously, that 0-0. And for me, what I agree with James a little bit, that that was one of the more unwatchable games I've seen recently from Barcelona. But, Omar, that comes from a lot of different factors going into what made that match so difficult for Barcelona. Definitely. I think I think one of the reasons also for why it's unwatchable, I think, and I've actually talked about this on Twitter a lot, and I've mentioned it in a lot of my videos, I don't inherently dislike Rakitic or what he's done for the club in any way, but having him and Arturo Vidal, who are players with very similar profiles, will give you a somewhat defensive-minded midfield. And yes, Vidal is a creative player, but only to only to a certain you know only to a certain extent. And so, having two players who aren't the most creative will obviously give you limitations in what you can do going forward. And considering that Barcelona are a very possession-based team. You can't really, if you don't have creative players moving forward other than maybe Messi or even Coutinho, who has had a dip in form lately, I think it's going to be hard to really get a, a fun, entertaining match for the viewers. So I think, again, it also comes down to how Ernesto Valverde decides to go for the, you know, how he tactically sets up the match. And so if you go with a team that isn't really set up for creativity in terms of going forward, you're definitely going to suffer in terms of how the game is going to be. Yeah, I think you bring up the point. It's not a knock on the the player that Rakitic is uh, or Suarez or whoever it may be, but when you look at the last three draws in particular, Messi has not been 100% fit. Dembele has been out. Suarez is clearly dealing with the knee injury again, and Kevin Prince-Boateng, whether he has been unsuccessful, which there have been reports that they're not really loving him in training, nor is he completely fit as well either those are the other reports and so when you have all these injuries to your three best attackers and none of them are really truly fit and continue is in the form that he is in obviously that is inherently going to create not only a disconnect between your midfield which as you mentioned omar is a much more defensive uh minded midfield in the, especially with the likes of vidal and rakitic and busquets and i thought when youth was put into that game in the form of carlos alenia and we saw malcolm yeah. in the copa del rey game when you have the youth like that even though Malcolm's going to make young mistakes and Alenia, you can say the same thing, they at least are injecting something different into that squad. And that's why it was so exciting to see them. That's not just us being hopeful. They are adding a different dimension. And so with Dembele coming back, um, maybe as soon as this weekend against Real Valladolid, just getting a go out there um, uh, against the, what we say, the lesser opponents when it comes to this February slate, they are again, the, the, the least prestigious, yeah. if you will. And so that should be a result that Barcelona can get. I expect Dembele to get a little time, if not a start, in that. And I think, I'm not putting all my hopes on Dembele, but the dimension he adds to that team can't be understated. And again, if Suarez is able just to get healthy, if you can get Kevin Prince-Boateng out in one match, give Suarez like two weeks off, again, that knee just needs to get healthy. And Messi, hopefully he just, we're not exactly sure. It looks like it's a hamstring something, but... You hope that he's just able to, on his own, with a little bit of rest this week, get healthy as well. I think that's what makes Barcelona unwatchable, not necessarily the players or the personnel, just the age and currently what's happening with the team. And I think if they're able to get healthy, that's going to be much more important to the results moving forward now than necessarily just giving up on this set of players and Valverde's tactics. And that brings us to the next question from Davey. How is Valverde viewed in Barcelona in terms of his coaching and handling of the team? And I think let's reframe that. Let's re, uh, Let's restructure that a little bit, Omar, and ask... How is Valverde going to move forward if his team can't get healthy? What is what does it look like not only against Real Valladolid but against a very attacking Lyon squad? Well, the thing is, again, as you also brought up, is that the youth that 
he brings on, especially if you if we're talking about the likes of Arthur, who's obviously injured for now. But if we're thinking of going forward, you have Carlos Elena, you have uh, Malcolm, Usman Dembele will hopefully be back soon. And I think the thing that these young players bring to the team is also because they are so young. Yes, they make young mistakes. They don't have the experience as much yet. But they also bring that daring type of play. They they actually try to make these dribbles happen. They try to make this creative play happen. They make the, the risky passes that sometimes aren't the best, but they add something to the team that makes it a little bit more threatening as a as an opponent and as defenders facing them. And so I think if you if he actually and this is one thing I would actually commend him for because lately he has been playing the youth more. He's been experimenting a bit more. Yes, it's not perfect, but he's he's actually experimenting with the midfielders, the young talents he's got. He's bringing up Juan Miranda sometimes. He's bringing up Ricky Puj. He's bringing up these young players that didn't really get chances at the, at the beginning of the season or the preseason. And I think if he really wants to get the best out of this team, and as you were saying, injuries, of course, play a really big a really big role. It's not just the personnel, but also the fact that Suarez is aging. He has he has the the problems that he has physically. Um, Boateng still has that knee injury uh, that's been, well, it's not really an injury. It's more of a discomfort that's been, you know, aching him for, for a long time now. And so with these players, I think if he can figure out how to play a good mixture of experienced players and these young players that are obvious, that, that do have the quality not to necessarily be starters yet, but definitely have the quality to impose danger on opponents. If he can find a mixture of playing these players, and actually experimenting with the team without necessarily hurting the uh, the bigger names. You know, like Suarez has the, the discomforts that he has, and he's had a dip in form also due to his age. But if he can if he can give Boateng a run, as you said, give him give Suarez some rest instead of Messi playing Malcolm um, when when until Messi is fit at least, and kind of give these players a go. I think that's that would be the way to go. Experiment with the team, give the youth players more chances now that we need them more than ever really in this season. The other thing I think about is that a, a player like Carlos Alenia, uh, I want to focus on him, that instead of thinking it in terms of when you have a, a second-tier game, when, you know, the early Copa del Rey matches or even a Real Valladolid lead with this stretch, instead of being that the game that he selected for because they're a lesser opponent, I think you know it, Barcelona may not, with the injuries right now, have the depth of when you look at Liverpool or Man City, who also between Klopp and Guardiola, they drop points, not only in the Premier League, but in their club, their domestic competitions as well. And yeah. I, I think I think the point there is that because of Alenia's skill set, he's good enough to play first team at Barcelona. So we need to figure out, and by we, I do mean the club, Valverde, they need to decide what it is does he bring to the lineup that is different than the player that would start for him. It's not just a matter of Vidal or Alenia, but what does he bring that Vidal won't do against XYZ opponent. So my, my point here is that clearly there was something going on against Bilbao where Vidal and Rakitic and Busquets, whether they were selected because of experience and because of they were on the road at Samames, I'm not sure exactly what that was, but that was a game clearly due to the way Bilbao was playing that would have benefited, I think, Alenia a little more. And it's not because of, again, anything of a B team or an A team, but I, that's the big question, that when you talk about the very, very, very um, thin bench that Barcelona has, each of those players have to, in their own right, be important in different situations. There has to be a team or a situation that Coutinho can get the best out of him. You know, Obviously, with Dembele out, he was playing out of necessity. 
But I have to think that there are matches that Coutinho is going to just fit. There's going to be space for him in places that there won't be against teams that, as simple as it might sound, there are teams that play four at the back, teams that play five at the back. And Coutinho is clearly going to have much difficult, a much more difficult time, as we've seen, teams that play five at the back, even then four at the back. And, Definitely. And I think that's just, that's, I would rather think of our players with that kind of confidence that each of them in those moments would be good. It's not just about throwing Alenya into the, the deep end. I think he's already shown that he's able to impact us in certain ways. And when we think about the rest of the season now, at big picture, uh, Sujith asks, how, in, how comfortable is the current lead in La Liga? Also considering the form Real Madrid are in, are we feeling the threat of Real Madrid? Definitely. I, th- I, th- I think if you if you look at how Real Madrid have been playing recently, especially under Santiago Solari, considering he didn't really have a good start with the club, they've definitely... It, it, see, it definitely seems like looking at it from the outside that they have this sense of teamwork again. They have this team spirit that they didn't have earlier at the season. And I think that's also due to, due to the fact that Solari is playing these young talents. And I think, again, as you were mentioning, it's not just about giving him playing time against lesser opponents or just giving him playing time as a concept. It's more about actually giving him confidence. And that's also a thing that we see with, with Felipe Coutinho now is that he's lacking confidence also because of the fact that, well, in my opinion, he's been playing out of position because... Yes, he might not be a traditional center mid in a Barca system. He might not really, for some, at least from what I'm talking to people, they say that he doesn't really fit in a Barca 4-3-3. But we saw him with Brazil in the 4-3-3, which obviously isn't, it's not exactly the same as Barcelona's, but he would definitely be a fit playing in those left half spaces. And again, you'd obviously need someone to cover for him because he's not as, I would say, as willing defensively. Also, maybe not as strong defensively. But I think if... if if Valverde can also try and get the best out of Coutinho confidence-wise, maybe play him now that we're playing against teams that we can't really, you know, right now we're playing against teams like, let's say, Bilbao, the San Mames. We lack creativity. Having Coutinho, who is out of confidence, out on that left wing, is not a good choice when you could have played Malcolm on the left wing, for instance, and then played Coutinho in the center midfield instead of maybe Arakitic, who wasn't really doing too well in the game, also due to fatigue, because he's been playing almost every single game this season. So I think also not just experimenting with putting youth players or players that offer something different as to what Arakitic or Vidal can offer, but also how these players function in different positions. Because that's also one of the things that Madrid have done so well now, is that instead of Marcelo, he's playing at Aguilon, instead of, you know, he's trying out these different positions for different players. Uh, Isco has been... For the past few seasons, he's played as a cam, he's played as a center midfielder, he's played as a winger. And I think trying to play players in different positions, even Alan Yahoo, we also know can function as a false nine, as a right winger in the central of the midfield, depending on the opponents. I think if he can find some sort of combination that makes these players click in these positions, even though it may not seem like it from the start, but give them confidence that will help them into becoming better, better players for Barcelona and more impactful players. Certainly what, what he needs to do, especially now that Madrid are closing in on the lead. And going back to the Coutinho point, I, I really do agree that what we saw from him over the summer at the World Cup for Brazil in that 4-3 is, is proof that he can play in that kind of lineup. But of what we I've seen against Bilbao and of, of recent months even, that Busquets and Rakitic just don't have the mobility, particularly at this point in the second half of the season, they just don't have the mobility to go sideline to sideline to cover for Coutinho. And so, I mean, maybe it's, again, just bias. I'm also watching Frankie de Jong against Real Madrid at the moment in the background. And I think that kind of mobility is a, a thing that is lacking with the current squad that Valverde has. So bringing the best out of Coutinho, I think he's still inhibited from playing that. You can't just plug him in because, as you mentioned, 
you lose some balance, as Kevin Williams, a uh, friend of the show and writer of The Athletic, always says, you, you lose the balance in Barcelona's lineup, and that's the most important thing. And so that's what happened where with Debele out and we had Coutinho Messi, uh, injured Messi, and who was still fantastic while injured, and Suarez, who also is, is banged up. And then you have those, you know, we'll say defensive midfielders at heart in Rakitic, Vidal, and Busquets behind them. There was a lack of balance there because there just wasn't as much forward thinking and attacking on Bilbao, and and things did wind up, you know, uh, falling falling dead. Now, before I let you leave, Omar, we have one more from Alex, and it's, I don't like to end it on this note, but we will. Are Barca fans too negative and reactive after a string of bad performances? I guess to say negative, I tend not to be negative, uh, Omar, on the show. I tend to think that Barcelona, when you look at their squad, they're they've got the best squad in the in in the world. I, I think that you have not only does Barcelona have the best player in the world who may not be completely fit right now, but they have the top player and they have a top team. They potentially have a top goalkeeper as he showed this past week in Der Stegen. Uh, by top, I mean, maybe the best, uh, Oblak had a tough week against Real Madrid, but you know, I, I, are you, what are the realistic expectations for you? I think it's to win at least the champions league and hold on to La Liga and Copa del Rey. It'd be nice, but it's a mulligan there, and I, I wouldn't expect all three, if that makes sense. You know, I expect two of three, but I could expect and see realistically Champions League and La Liga are things that Barcelona are in control. They're in the driver's seat to compete for those competitions. Definitely. I agree with you, Dan. I think that considering the squad that we have, the squad depth this week, that we do have, especially with Messi returning from injury, hopefully Suarez getting a little bit more fit, and if not, we have Kevin Prince-Boateng be playing that role. Uh, if, if he can't fulfill what we expect. And I will say, I saw, even though he's only played, he's featured in two games, I believe, so far. And considering that in the first game, he hadn't really had more than one practice session with the team prior to that game, I think he did really well. And considering the squad depth that we have in terms of youth players, in terms of in terms of Carlos Alenia, we have Juan Miranda, who can act as a backup for Jordi Alba. We have Ricky Pujo, we could pull up. We have all these different types of players both a really good mix of experience and a really good mix of talent and youth and this drive, this energetic drive that they do bring to the team. I definitely think that it is, I think it's feasible to, to at least expect a UEFA Champions League final in a win and also to, to hold on to the Liga because we are in control of the Liga right now, even though Madrid are catching up, but we still are in control. It's still in our hands if we play our cards right. In the Champions League with this draw that coming up against Lyon, I definitely think we should be able to advance uh, with little to no problems. With all due respect to Lyon, but considering the team that we do have and also the fact that Nabil Fakir is out for the first game, I do believe we could be able, I, I definitely think we should be able to go all the way in the Champions League and La Liga. And I don't think two out of three trophies would be would be too much to ask for, really, considering the squad. And also considering that Valverde clearly is improving in terms of his man management. And what we've heard recently also is that he is he's loved by the squad. They like working under him. You see a lot of these players praising uh, praising Valverde. Of course, Rakitic really expect you, you kind of expect him really to, to praise him considering how much he's been playing Rakitic. But he's, he's, he's gotten praise from the team. They clearly have his back. He, he has confidence in the youth players. He's showing confidence, as Bartomeu also confirmed earlier today, that Valverde is actually really enthusiastic about playing these young players. And so I think considering the squad depth, considering the talent that we have, and, and even a controller like Arthur, who's been brilliant since he came here this summer, I think that, I think that's a fair expectation to have. And I, I also, the Copa del Rey, 
for me, shouldn't have as much weight as it's had the past few seasons. And I think the reason it's had that weight is because we haven't really been able to compete in the Champions League as much. Or we haven't really had that drive, that willingness. We've, we've prioritized La Liga higher. We've prioritized the Copa higher. And I think two out of three trophies will be more than more than, more than than accepted, really, from, uh, from the Barca fans, myself included. And obviously, the Copa would be the nice cherry on top. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I, I agree 100% with that. Um, now, Omar, the reason we had you on is you've been working on a ton of stuff um, on your own as well. And I want to ask, where can people find you and all the different projects you're currently working on? Yeah, well, uh, I'm very active on Twitter on a daily basis. Um, the the uh, Twitter handle is Blaugranagram. Hopefully you'll... you'll... Oh uh, yeah, hopefully you'll link it somewhere. <laughs> yep, that's in the show notes, everybody. Uh, <laughs> great. Um, I also have a YouTube channel where I post game previews, game recaps, transfer market news recaps. I uh, posted as soon as the Frankie De Young news emerged about him uh, having the accept him having accepted Barca's terms after having snubbed Paris. Uh, I had a video up on that. I had a video up on the official announcement. So I try to keep you guys up to date on YouTube as well, although it's not as frequent. But that's mainly because Twitter is my it's what I really have the most time for, so I'm most active on Twitter. Recently, I also launched a website that I've been working on for a long time now that has uh, the biggest news, really, uh, the biggest rumors, if you will, about Adrian Rabiot. I kept, I try, I try to keep that article updated about Matthijs de Ligt. All these kind, all, all these sort of big news, I, I make sure to post on there. Any announcements regarding future projects from me, uh, collabs like this one, all those, I'll try to keep you guys updated on Twitter, of course. Keep you guys updated on the news, on the reports going on around the club. So all that is on my Twitter account. It's on my website, which is blogonagram.cf, and it's on YouTube on under the same name. Well, wonderful. And we will have, again, you can find him on Twitter. That'll be in the show notes. And we want to thank you not only for tuning into this whole show. We want to thank both our guests, Kevin Egan and Omar. And thank you, the listeners, for checking out this show. You can tap in that app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find all of our guests here today. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me, and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group, where we had our LaRonda listener questions. That's where we get these from. For deeper dives and discussions as well, you can also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tbpod.link backslash Patreon. That's where you find our quick take match reviews as well. And finally, to round it all out, we have also engaged in YouTube. I'm going to be putting some of this stuff up, and you can find that at the Barcelona Podcast. Now, there are two at the moment, but it's the one that has been much more recently updated and the one where you see my face uh, on the cover as well with a, a few subscribers, and we're, we're building on that as well. So a lot of exciting things on the horizon and a lot of exciting things in the Barcelona community, as Omar explained. And thanks to you for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for the Barca. Bye.